On this episode of Common Mystics, we are led to a haunted cemetery outside of Nashville, Tennessee, to give voice to fallen Confederate soldiers who still roam those grounds. I'm Jennifer James. I'm Jill Stanley. We're psychics. We're sisters. We are common mystics. We find extraordinary stories in ordinary places. And this week, we found a story outside of Nashville, Tennessee. In Shelbyville. We left the Midwest. Woohoo! Yay! Finally. And this is our last episode of the season. It our is. our last destination episode. Are you sad inside? Yeah, it's bittersweet. Mm-hmm. So let's let's describe what we were doing in Nashville. Well, our lovely sister Kim mm. lives in Nashville. And she was so generous to put us up for the weekend. She has a big, beautiful house, and she made it hard to return to ordinary life. We had a sister suite. We did have a sister suite in our special wing. We had a wing. (laughs) So we started in Nashville at our sister's house, and she came with us. And she drove us around. She was so sweet. She drove us around. Jennifer and I are in the back seat. Jennifer, can you... Set our intention for us before we get right into it? (laughs) Sure. We set our intention, like we always do, to find a verifiable story and also to give a voice to the voiceless. That's right. And we end up driving south and we see a sign for Lynchburg. Mm -hmm. But we were already starting to get some impressions in the car. That's true. Mm -hmm. That's true. And actually, I asked him where she thought we were going to end up. And she said right away, I think we're going to end up in a in a cemetery. Mm, remember? I do remember because I said I had a feeling of a cemetery on like a hill where I can like overlook a town. And the cemetery in my mind's eye felt like thick with energy. Mm. And I was seeing a silhouette of a soldier with a very long gun. Also, I was picturing a, a border wall with stacked thin stones what were you thinking well when you said cemetery you and kim both said it and i knew it was going to be a confederate cemetery Mm, it's true just right off the top of my head i'm like well it's going to be confederate and then this is weird though in my head i was seeing a nest how random a large bird's nest with eggs in it and so i was like i don't know what this is but sorry this is what i'm getting and also a woman picking cotton, like, off the plant. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I was getting. So, yeah. So we're still – we're driving south. We're having these conversations. And we see the sign for Lynchburg, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And both of us were like, we are going to Lynchburg. Absolutely. That's where we're driving. It was calling us. Mm-hmm. But on the way to Lynchburg, there's this little town, Shelbyville. Mm-hmm. It was cute. It looked really cute. Mm-hmm. So we took a little detour on our way to Lynchburg. And we just drove like in a loop around the town. The town square. And that's where we saw that they had a Habitat for Humanity thrift store. And these girls like a deal. We like, I am all about the thrifting. So we stop at the Habitat for Humanity. And we are loose in the store. And kid you not, one of the first things I see when I walk through the door, there is this table display, and on it is a large ceramic statue of a nest with eggs. It was not functioning as anything at all. It was just a 
a really strange ceramic knickknack. Just straight. That, and it like, was large. It was huge. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a cookie jar, which might have made some sense, but nope. it was just a statue. Super odd. But right away, I was like, this is a breadcrumb. For some reason, we're supposed to be here. Right. And then, do you also remember the cotton? I do. There was... And I maybe this isn't, I don't go to the South a whole lot. Maybe this is pretty common. But they had for sale cotton on the plant, like the little dried, crispy cotton plant with like the little crispy hands holding the cotton. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. And so like, I guess you're, you like put them in a vase and it's like decoration, right? Right. So they had those too. And again, I knew, okay, for some reason we are supposed to be right here. So Jen is bringing this to our attention. And we, again, we're like, that's totally valid. Yeah, yeah. We are staying here. That's fair. So we de- we decide to walk around the square of the town. Right. And we're going to all these little like antique shops. It's a really cute area. Mm-hmm. And as we're going through these different antique shops, we notice that a lot of things in these shops are things like someone had taken out of our childhood, like specific random things. Crazy things that our mother owns. Yes. And so, our mother helps us on these, yes. on these adventures. So when we see something that belonged to our mother, that is a breadcrumb. Right. So for instance, there was this Roman perfume bottle, which is so weird. It's like this blue bottle with like etchings of white men in togas. It's like a Roman scene that like, like the same perfume bottle. Exactly. Like identical. Never seen it before. And I do a lot of thrifting and antiquing. Right. Never seen anything like that. The only time I've ever seen anything like that was in mom's hutch. Exactly. Also the fireplace wood holder, the brass Look, kind of looked like a boat shape mm-hmm. w- holder for the firewood. Identical to the one we had. It could have come straight out of our I house. I literally have not seen these items since living in our house in Forest Park. So we knew we, Shelbyville. Yeah. This is where our story is. And to tell you the truth, we found a story just off the square. We were just headed out. That story we're saving for next season so we are headed back to the car and ready to go back yeah. to Kim's house. And so Kim is like, you guys, we have to go to the cemetery. I find about four local cemeteries that we could have driven to. So I choose one and I was like, okay, we're going here. Yeah, we're tired. We're this tired. is the one. This and is the one we're going to. Exactly. The name of it was Willow Mount Cemetery. Right. So right away, we're driving up to the gate. And what do you notice, Jen? I notice that there's a sign there. Do you know what the sign said? I do. The sign said, Soldiers in the Confederate Section of the Willow Mount Cemetery. In the cemetery north of the road are buried Confederate soldiers of the Army of Tennessee who fell while opposing the advance of Rosecrans' Army of the Cumberland through the Liberty Gap and Guy's Gap in late June 1863. Also buried here are soldiers of Forrest's cavalry killed in minor operations. So we're like, okay, this is cool. I've personally never been to a Confederate cemetery before because we're from the North. That's true. So I was really excited. Mm -hmm. And as we drove through the gates into the cemetery, I see off to the right in quite a distance I see a statue. I'm like, Kim, will you please, dearest sister, will you please drive us towards that statue? So I get out of the car and I'm looking at the statue and I go right to it. I'm passing like a bench. I'm passing a plaque and I'm looking at the statue and I'm like, 
this guy has a really long gun. It was unusually long. I'm not kidding. Moving on. (laughs) Okay. I'm already feeling uncomfortable, not because of the long gun, because I felt as if this was definitely our story, but I'm standing among what I think to be Confederate graves, and I'm like, oh, this can't be good. This can't be good. Right. (sighs) Right. So I'm like having a bit of a panic attack because... Because we find the soldier who has that rifle, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so right away we're like, oh, crap. Our story is not to talk about the Confederacy. <laughs> Our story is not going to be to give voice to Confederate soldiers. That We are not a political podcast. And as Jennifer's going through that. I'm, I'm literally like hyperventilating. I'm leaning against the statue like, oh, no. Oh, no, we are not. We're, there's another story in this cemetery I, for us. I am reading what's inscribed on the side of the statue on the base. And as I am reading it, I think on the statue base, it says voiceless. And I'm like, oh, dude. I was like, Jen, I think it says voiceless. And Jennifer's like, no, it doesn't. And she starts climbing the statue to feel the indentation of the words. That's fair. Yeah, that's a fair assessment of what was happening. Sure enough. Bitch says voiceless. (laughs) Can you read what was inscribed on the base of the statue? You know I can. (laughs) This marble soldier's voiceless stone in deathless song shall tell when many a vanished year hath flown the story how ye fell. They rose to defend their homes and firesides. They endured every hardship without complaint. Their souls rest with God. Their fame is immortal, but the bugle call and the battle ball again shall rouse them never. They fought and fell, they served as well. Their furlough last forever. Gather the sacred dust of the warrior tried and true who bore the flag of our nation's trust and fell in a cause, though lost, still just. So at this point, there's absolutely no way we can walk away and pretend that we don't know that right. this is the story we exactly. were supposed to tell. Exactly. Ugh. It was like downloaded in my head. I knew exactly what the story was. We have to give voice to the voiceless Confederate soldiers that fought, apparently, to keep people enslaved and perpetuate one of the most original evil sins that this country had bore. That's what we thought. That's exactly what we thought. That's what you thought. That's exactly what what I thought. thought. I'm sweating right now just (laughs) as you said that. So, yeah, in the time where people are burning things and... And Lady Annabellum is uh, now Lady. The Dixie Chicks, just Just the chicks. chicks. Great. And so now you and I have to, pretty much, I'm thinking, defend slavery now. Exactly. Or defend the people that wanted to enslave people. Exactly. So now we back away from the statue, and we notice that the statue is in the middle of neat rows of Confederate graves. And the gravestones on top of them have numbers on them. Right? Yes, exactly. All neatly lined up in a row, just numbers, no names. But there was a plaque towards Mm -hmm. the road. So we went to the plaque, and there it listed the names. Right. The Confederate soldiers who had fallen and were buried there. 
but the numbers didn't match up with anything. Right. It was very confusing. You couldn't find who you were looking for. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So we thought, all right, we'll figure this out later. Right now, this place is haunted. I know. It felt as if we were being watched. Mm -hmm. That's when I saw in the periphery of my vision, just to the left underneath two beautiful trees, I see a shadow figure. Mm. So we walked towards an area where the shadow figure was, and it was the grave of Willie E. Lipscomb, 1846 to 1864 son of Dr. T and R. Lipscomb, from a mortal wound received in a charge made by Forrest's escort, of which he was a beloved member. Gently we heap the turf above thee with gushing tears beneath the sod, and in our heart of hearts enshrine thee, submissive trusting thee to God. So right away, we recognized... Well, he's not buried in the section for the Confederate soldiers. Right. Yet so he like, was a Confederate. Right. Soldier who fell with Forrest Calvary. So right away, why is this one not memorialized with the others right. in the same area? Exactly. Like, what's happening here? Mm-hmm. Very disjointed. Very disjointed. Curious. Mm. Hmm. So what did we know at that point, Jill? Unfortunately, we knew we were going to give voice to fallen Confederate soldiers, but we wanted to learn more about the state of Tennessee and specifically the city of Shelbyville and its position during the Civil War, mm-hmm. as well as the soldiers buried at Willows Mount Cemetery. Nice, nice. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Tennessee during the Civil War. As many of us remember from our history classes, by 1860, the nation was coming apart. The southern states were outraged that Abraham Lincoln was elected as president, right? Mm -hmm. And, of course, many of them decided to secede the Union pretty quickly after that Mm -hmm. because Abraham Lincoln was very firm about his stance to abolish slavery. Right. So the ones that seceded formed the Confederate States of America or the Confederacy. But what, personally, I don't remember from history class is that some of those southern states were actually divided I didn't on the know issue. That. You didn't know that either. Mm-mm. No, I did not realize that, that some of those southern states were actually divided on the issue of not only of slavery, but of secession, right? Mm-hmm. And so Tennessee was one of the most divided on the issues. In fact, in February of 1861, Tennesseans actually voted against leaving the Union. Wow. I know. But Tennessee then, later in June of 1861, did decide and voted to leave the Union and join the Confederacy. But Tennessee was the very last Southern state to do so. Mm, I did not know that. I did not know that either. That's, I think, really important to understand. Mm -hmm. Because in my mind, I'm thinking Southern state, everybody here loves slavery, right? And hates the Union. But that wasn't the case. Here's another thing. Tennessee actually remained divided even after the war started. Tell me. And even after it seceded from the Union. In fact, Jill, 100,000 Tennesseans joined the Confederate Army. Duh. Yeah, exactly. But 54,000 joined the Union Army. I did not realize that Tennesseans fought for the Union. I had no clue. Also, the people in East Tennessee largely remained loyal, even though their state had seceded. And it was in East Tennessee that had a strong anti-slavery tradition. I 
had absolutely no clue. The very first anti-slavery newspaper in the entire United States was first published in East Tennessee in 1819. Shut up. Like I don't that, believe a word you're saying I right now. knew nothing of this. Mm-mm. Crazy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Bedford County, right in the center of the state where Shelbyville is located, was also divided on the questions that led to the Civil War. And when the time came for action, Bedford County furnished almost as many soldiers for the North as for the South. Ah. I did not know that. We were in Bedford County. Yes. Yes, we were. It was divided. And not only this, Shelbyville was so loyal to the Union that it actually earned the name Little Boston. Oh, my gosh. This is looking so much more complicated than I ever could imagine in my mind. Exactly. This is not Gone with the Wind. This is nothing like Gone with the Wind. Right. We were in Little Boston. Right. So I have already said how I was so surprised to learn that the state of Tennessee was so divided on the issues that brought about the war and how I didn't even realize that there were Tennesseans who fought for the Union. And I also didn't realize that the Confederacy had a draft. You know, in the movies that you see, the war starts and all the rebels are like rip rearing to fight. Literally, when I think of what you just said, it reminds me of Scarlett O'Hara on the porch mm-hmm. of Tara and the two boy callers being like, we're going to war, Miss Scarlett. Mm-hmm. And they were so happy. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they were so happy about it. That's how I assumed every Confederate was. Right. Well, yeah, but that w- assumption was false. The first draft act in the Confederacy was passed in 1862, and it made any white male between 18 and 35 years old liable to three years of military service. Mm. But by 1864, when the Confederacy was running out of the 18 to 35-year-olds, the law was changed to 17 to 50-year-olds. They were liable to service of an unlimited period of time oh my god so the draft was really unpopular first because it made men fight against their will right right and then secondly the law let wealthy men that owned 20 or more slaves avoid the draft that sucks that meant they they did not have to fight if they didn't want to this led to a lot of bad feelings a farmer in North Carolina complained to his wife, this is a rich man's war, but the poor man has to do the fighting. Mm. And ultimately, the dying. Oh, so true. What did you find out about Willie? Because we still don't know why he was separated from his, his unit and buried in a different place. Well, we knew right away from his gravestone that he was the son of a doctor, and that he was part of Forrest's escort. But we didn't know what that was. Right. I looked into Forrest's escort, and as it turns out, it was a very elite company. In 1862, it was formed as a company of 100 men that would act as an escort to the daring cavalry commander, General Nathan Bedford Forrest. And they were mounted men, so they were on horses, and they were known as Forrest's Escort. Now, these men were picked specifically for this elite job, and 
they were provided with the choice arms and the best horses that the county could afford. Wow. Yeah. So this Willie Lipscomb, he was a man that was specifically picked for this elite unit. Right. Now, we also know that Willie was mortally wounded at an engagement at Mount Pleasant, Tennessee on November 23rd, 1864. And his doctor father, Dr. Thomas Lipscomb, came from Shelbyville to attend his dying son during his last hours. Mm -hmm. So he was actually with his dad when he died three days later. And then his dad was able to take his body back to Shelbyville, and he had a proper burial with the family. Oh, well, that's nice for Willie. Absolutely. And that's why Willie's not buried with the other men? I believe so. So I knew that day when I was standing beneath the soldier with the very long gun in his shadow i knew that we were supposed to give a voice to the a confederate soldiers or to the confederate soldiers that were seemingly being buried around us mm-hmm. in these unmarked graves mm-hmm. and so i go online and i try to look up some of the names from the plaque that we that was in front of the statue right and what did you find every name that i researched they were poor, young men. They were a part of the draft. They had no choice but to fight because they didn't own 20 slaves. Mm. They couldn't hire someone to fight for them. They weren't exempt. There was this one gentleman that I looked up, Robert Nelson, 18. Ugh. His family, his entire family of like six kids and his two parents, they only owned what was about $5,000 in today's money. In today's money? In today's money. Wow. So those men buried at Willow Mount, seemingly underneath those markless headstones. With the numbers? With the numbers. Mm-hmm. They were, the majority, everyone I looked up was poor. Wow. And I still couldn't find out why the headstones didn't have their names on it. Well, I found out why. Tell me. So unlike the union that was organized and had national cemeteries where they buried the fallen union soldiers, the Confederacy was not organized. And when Confederate soldiers fell, they just buried them. Sometimes they buried them where they fell. And so actually in Shelbyville... Those who were buried at the time had simple wooden markers Mm -hmm. above their graves. And it wasn't until the 1900s that those wooden markers were replaced with the numbered stones that are there today. But here's the thing. Those numbered stones were all put in that same Confederate section, but the bodies were never moved. (gasps) The bodies aren't there? The bodies aren't there underneath those numbered stones. And nobody knows where they are exactly. Oh, my gosh. In fact, some of them have been located off the cemetery premises on private property. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. So, Jennifer, the story that we're supposed to tell, do you think that this story is of those Confederates whose remains have not been claimed and buried properly? I absolutely do. Let's debrief. Hit me. Tell me what you got. I was seeing visions of a nest with eggs and cotton. 
that totally checks out nest with eggs, that ridiculous nest with eggs at the habitat with exactly. all the cotton. Right. For sale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Strange. You were saying stone walls. Yes. And the cemetery, Willows Mountain Cemetery has stone walls, not only around specific plots, but around the entire perimeter it looked mm. like. And so obviously when you were seeing a cemetery on a hill when we were driving in the car, literally in the cemetery, when I looked back at you and Kim, I can see Shelbyville. We were we were up on a hill. We were elevated. Right, right, right. And of course, that cemetery was haunted. Oh, AF. Mm-hmm. And the soldier with the long gun? It was an awful long gun. Easy. <laughs> the soldier with the long gun literally was what I saw in my head as we were driving towards Shelbyville. Right. And which was the exact thing, the exact image on top of that memorial statue. And don't forget about the statue monument saying voiceless, which is always our intention to give voice to the voiceless. Exactly. How nuts is that? What about your psychic impression of Willie? When we were in the cemetery, I believe it was the ghost of Willie that called us over to that grave. Why do you think Willie made himself known to you? I think he wanted to make it known that he was somehow separate from those soldiers who had unmarked graves. Think about it. He had a name on his grave. He did. And not only that, his his body was actually in the grave where his headstone was. Wow. And he was with his family. Mm. And let's not forget, he was privileged. He was part of a privileged cavalry company, forest escorts. And his family, let's not forget, was one of wealth and prestige. They were very active in the community at the time. In fact, they called his father when he was dying. Oh my gosh, that's such a good point. Right? Oh. And so he got to die with with at least his dad there with him. That's very, very different. Very special. And very different from the rest of the Confederates that are buried who knows where. Right. And to tell you the truth, when you called me with the research on Willie, you spoke with disdain when you described that. Ooh, sorry, Willie. Mm. It was a knee-jerk reaction. Willie, she can be kind of mean sometimes. <laughs> hmm Anyway, so Jill, I think I know what Willie wanted to say to us. What do you think the other soldiers wanted us to say you knew from the beginning that we were supposed to give them a voice but what do they want to say jen i'm really ashamed of myself to be honest with you because before doing this research i assumed that i knew these people and i assumed i knew what motivated them to fight Mm -hmm. and i didn't know any of that and so what they were saying was you don't know me You don't know me. Oh, I just got the chills. I knew in the cemetery, like I said, I knew it like downloaded into my brain that these people needed a voice. But I, even in their need and them being so specific, bringing us there, Mm -hmm. I still didn't want to tell their story because I just fundamentally didn't like them and didn't like what I assumed they believed in. Wow. But they weren't all the same. They weren't. They weren't. They were victims of their circumstance. Many of them were. And they fought bravely. They did. And we, if nothing else, should honor that sacrifice because I wouldn't. I wouldn't fight like that. I can't think of a single thing that I would give my life for. Not a single principle that I would willingly rush into battle and lay down and die for. Mm -hmm. I mean, that alone, even if we don't agree with them deserves respect right and we don't know them we don't know we didn't know 
that they were drafted and they were made to fight for a cause that was really not going to benefit them anyway. Most of them weren't slaveholders and had nothing to do with slavery. So although we didn't want to tell the story for obvious reasons, I'm glad that I did because I learned something personal about it. Not to be so judgmental and not to assume, not to make an assumption about how someone is motivated or what their intentions are. Right. It really opened up my eyes. And usually when we tell a story, we always try to bring something new to it, some new information. I think this is the first time that we're not really bringing new information. We're bringing a new perspective, hopefully. Right. And hopefully it will ring true for some of our listeners too. Well, and honestly, we're bringing a new perspective about healing and empathy. And in these current divisive times. So topical. Exactly. And I think that's why we were, that's another reason why they called. They're like, hey, not only are you being an asshole, but also this is relevant today. So talk about it and Mm -hmm. shut up. Exactly. (laughs) Stop your whining. Get it together. So Jennifer... Yes, Jill. As we said before, this is our last destination podcast of the first season. It is. What does that mean to our listeners? That we are going to take a much needed break. That's right. We're going to take a much needed rest. So all those people listening, stay tuned. We are going to drop bonus episodes every so often just to keep it going and keep the momentum. And we want to say hello and thank you to the newest countries listening to us, Jen. Well, we have listeners in Israel, yay! the Netherlands, yay! France, yay! England, yay! and Wales. Yay! That is amazing. Thank you guys so much. And thank you, of course, for our hometown listeners and our listeners here at home in America. Thank you so much for listening. Jill, tell the people where they can find us. Well, check out our website, commonmystics.net. Find us on Facebook. Listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a positive review to help other people find us. Thank you so much to all of you who have supported us through season one. We love you all. Thank you and good night. Thank you. Good night.